Hello, I'm Arianna Raji Lee, founder of Pasha Mama, and welcome to our podcast, In Conversation, where I chat to health practitioners, baby and toddler experts, mamas and mums-to-be, to find out what they do and how their story can help you through modern motherhood. If you're loving what you're listening to, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. A little love goes a long way. Hi guys, how are we doing? I feel like it's been a while since um, I've released an episode. So checking in on you uh, post summer, which for me, I think was just a really welcome break from the last couple of years of being pregnant and COVID not really traveling as much. Um, So it really felt nice to kind of get away and enjoy traveling and my new family dynamic. My son Phoenix is, gosh, 10 months today, which I find completely bonkers. Um, And I think it's interesting that after such a lightness and playfulness that I experienced over the summer, to come back to what has felt like quite a heavy few weeks with what's going on um, in the UK at the moment, what with the change of leadership that we've had in parliament and obviously most recently the passing of the queen so there's a lot going on right now and if you are particularly a new parent and a parent to a newborn that could just be adding extra layer of discombobulation I think that's a a pretty appropriate word for how I felt back in the newborn days um, and sort of how I feel sometimes now looking at uh, what's going on around us in the wider world. But hopefully this podcast can bring you some sort of reassurance and a familiar voice if you need it. In this episode, I'm speaking to Olivia Malkai, who is a sleep practitioner, consultant and sleep supporter and founder of The Dream House UK. I was really lucky to have Olivia on hand to help when my son Phoenix was struggling through his four-month sleep regression, or perhaps I should say he wasn't struggling, I was struggling. And prior to that, also with his naps, I felt that his naps weren't restorative enough, they were too short. And as you'll hear in this episode, there's nothing necessarily wrong with short naps, provided that your baby is thriving and developing as they should be um, and provided they are happy. But there was a time at the beginning where I thought Phoenix wasn't getting enough sleep to help with his development. And she just gave me some wonderful tips that were able to help me and him get the advice and, and comfort that we needed. Now, sleep is a massive, massive topic. And I think it's something that will constantly be in the forefront of parents' minds, whether they are a new parent or not, because sleep seems to be an ever-changing thing, whether you have a baby that sleeps well in inverted commas or one that doesn't, you are traveling or baby gets sick, something will always come up that changes it. So I think it's always at the forefront of a parent's mind. And because it's such a big topic, we have decided on this episode to focus around nailing naps because I know from the community there have been a few questions and or common themes that kept coming up and literally what kind of keeps you up at night is sleep. So I wanted to really kind of address this for you guys. I have to tell you that I find 
Phoenix's sleep, uh, particularly his day sleep, so his naps, extremely triggering. Uh, less so now, but especially in those early weeks and months, if he didn't sleep for as long as I thought he should have, or if he didn't sleep on his in his cot rather than on my arm, or he didn't go down at the appropriate time after his wake window was over, I felt like I was sort of failing as a parent. So what I don't want to happen is for this episode or this conversation to add fuel to your fire if you are in that sort of space. If you listen to this and you think things sound interesting or sound right to you or you feel comfortable trying something, please go for it. If something in this episode doesn't serve you or your family, just let it go. This is here to support you. This is here to give you reassurance and some guidance. And if it's not for you, that's absolutely fine. You may know someone who it is for, perhaps a new mum or somebody who's about to give birth who might want some reassurance with their naps and their baby sleep patterns and to know what is kind of natural and normal in inverted commas. So if you do, please do forward this episode on. It's the only way that we can kind of share the Pasha Mama love um, is by sharing. And sharing is caring, as is rating, reviewing and subscribing to this episode. So without further ado, here is our app on nailing naps. Olivia, hello, how are you? I'm really well, thanks Ariana. How are you? Yes, I'm I'm doing good. I'm doing okay, thank you. Yeah. Um I'm really pleased that um we are able to have this conversation. I think it's it's really important because I don't really know many or any new or not so new parents that doesn't really have their child's sleep at the forefront of their mind, <laughs> at least for the first like a few years of life. Um, and it also feels like it's just this constantly ever evolving and changing thing, whether whether they sleep well or they don't sleep well, someone's going to get sick. You're going to go on holidays. You're on a schedule. You're not on a schedule. Things things change constantly. So I think I'm really glad that we're able to talk about sleep. And in particular, because sleep is such a big thing, we are going to be talking about naps, which I know is something that you really like to talk about. Um, <laughs> Love a nap. Yeah. Who doesn't? I wish I could do yes. them as an adult. <laughs> I know I can't do them at all. I rubbish at them. <laughs> And you and I have worked together in the past. You were so brilliant at helping me when I was struggling with Phoenix during his four month sleep progression and prior to that with his naps. And what I love about your approach is that you're not saying you must do this, you must do that. You were really able to like listen to how it was that I wanted a parent. We wanted to really follow his cues and follow wake windows. And so you were, you were, you were really great at giving guidance based on how we wanted to approach things, which is why I think it's really important that we're having this conversation or I'm having this conversation with somebody that I feel listens to the parent because I've been in situations where I know that isn't always the case. So there are lots and lots of different styles and approaching and approaches obviously to parenting and sleep. And be before we have, before we start tackling or looking at naps, I think it's probably quite important to get some definitions down so that we're all starting from the same page because I know that each practitioner yeah, will probably phrase things in different ways so mm -hmm. what are your definitions of sleep training 
or responsive parenting, controlled crying, holistic coaching. What are your definitions of that? And maybe that's a good starting point. I think the word um, sleep training, first of all, triggers some parents and they're like, I don't want to train my child. And I think it, I've thought about it over the last couple of years. Like, what other word is there? Because we, you know, sleep support's a good one, um, kind of natural sleep, but I guess sleep training kind of needs to have maybe a, a new definition. So for me, particularly, sleep training is teaching parents, particularly, you know, how to, what's natural and how to work around those natural weight windows, how to work around natural kind of rises and falls in melatonin and serotonin and cortisol. And, and, and just kind of, I think if we slightly understand the background and the science behind sleep, it takes away some of that stress from the word sleep training. So sleep training for me is just supporting parents in the way they want to, you know, support their own child. I'm not, I'm not one of those people that would say my way or the highway with sleep training might for me and I guess this leads on to the holistic side is you need to look at the whole picture with a family so for me the holistic side is I'm going to ask you about your you know your feeding I'm going to ask you how what weights they are um you know were they premature because that comes into play until six months um kind of where they nap how they nap, how you put them to sleep, um, what parenting style you also have. So do you want more of a routine? Do you want to follow awake windows? So I think um, we need to look at that whole picture and support the family in whatever way they want. Because if I come into you, Ariane, and say, I know with Phoenix, we were looking a lot at awake windows. And if I said to you, you know what? Nah, I don't want to do that. You know, it's my way. This is what we're going to do. You're going to be like a yeah, nice one and go off and just say, we're not doing that I don't feel comfortable with it and I'm not happy with it um and then I guess I guess the responsive parenting I am a massive responsive parent like I for me it's being there when they need you it's supporting them when they need that support um if they're crying you know let's differentiate between the grizzle which they might do while they're falling asleep and the kind of start screaming and getting het up so when they're getting het up we can pick them up we can cuddle them for as long as possible it's just being there to support your little one in the way that they need you to at that point and like you say it changes throughout their whole life so in the first four months you're gonna um be a lot more hands-on but then some babies when you pick them up and they are your hands-on they don't like it they are just you know they're overstimulated they need some space and so they need to kind of change it you still stay in the room but you might need to change it to some shushing or some patting rather than a big cuddle so yeah I guess that's kind of my definitions of all those bits yeah and that's so true I mean as you say like each family is different but also obviously each baby is really different so within each family their approach to each child really really different so you have three little ones not, yeah, so, little, not so little ones anymore I don't think <laughs> no um how did you personally approach sleep with 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 all with e with each of them and because I know obviously some of the questions that or concerns that come up from the from the community are the passion mama community are around managing sleep with a baby when you already have one or two children at home how how did you approach it and how have you managed that so Florence who's my eldest who is eight nearly nine that's mad um she she was born and then my husband's military and so he was away a lot so she was he was uh, she was born and then Ollie disappeared to sea for a month so when she was a week old so for me it was having structure and then he came back for 
four months and went away for seven. So we had to have that routine. Like for me, it was the only way to get through the day. Um, so we had a very strict kind of nap schedule. We had specific nighttime schedules and actually she slept through from three months, probably completely fluke, but she did, she was easy. Um, Theo, the middle one who's seven came along and I just winged it. Honestly, you have to, they were 15 months apart. Um, I had postnatal depression and I was just a mess. And he kind of, Florence had such a good nap schedule that it was kind of easier for me because when she was napping, I kind of tried to like schedule his naps around her timings. Um, but I didn't do it perfectly because he didn't sleep through till, well, he co-slept with us for 10 months. Um, and then he eventually slept through around that 10 month mark. So he went into his own room. And then number three, Rory, who was three, nearly four, um, <laughs> completely and utterly winged it. We had school runs to do. You know, we put him in the buggy. He, he used to wake up at five o'clock every morning. I used to shove him in the buggy at eight. He used to fall asleep, do the school run, come back. I mean, it was a complete disaster, Ariana. I promise you, he didn't sleep through properly until 15 months. Um, so I am not the kind of perfect mother. At that point, I will point out, I didn't do this job. I wasn't a sleep practitioner. Um, yeah, I did wing it. And I think if you're happy winging it and you are, you're, you know, your baby sleeps how you want them to sleep and whether that's co-sleeping, whether it's, you know, going out for buggy walks, then you do you. You know, there is nothing wrong with any of that. Um, but yeah, I have been through the best and the worst sleep with all three of them. And even now you parent them differently. You know, Florence is autistic, so she... It needs different parenting to Theo, who's so loving, and Rory's just a bull in a china shop. So they're all completely different children. I'm literally like nodding manically as you say these things. So so much you've said there, which I I um I completely relate to. First of all, there's no such thing as the perfect mother. You are the perfect mother, no. as at, you know, exactly. with all Your of the children. with all of the winging it exactly. Um, yeah. I'm so sorry that you struggled with postnatal depression. I I can't imagine how how difficult that that is you know um I had antenatal yeah. depression but not not this not through the other side where I think it, you know trying to keep baby alive with another baby <laughs> that you know with another child there is just so yeah. difficult so I'm I'm glad you got through that I find it really amusing that you say each one got progressively more and more of a shit show because sometimes yeah. this is what I say to myself sometimes when I find myself quite triggered by Phoenix not sleeping during the day or not getting enough night uh, day sleep or his, he's not gone down for a nap or whatever it might be that I find difficult about his sleep I say to myself imagine he's your third child and he exactly. just has to go with the flow of the other stuff that's going on in the house yeah so it's so true you know it you sort of just you give up. It sounds give. You don't give up. I mean, don't get wrong with it. But you do give up because you ha something has to give, and yeah. you've still got school runs to do, washing, shopping. You still got a house to run. Where your husband goes to work, off they go. Bye, and they come back at whatever time. And then they, you know, you still kids need to eat. Everyone needs to wear, you know, clean clothes, and you just have to go with the flow. So, I think my one thing when parents come to me and say, you know, how do you do it with two? I just am so honest and say, most of the time you've got to wing it you know mm. get the first get the one down who has got the naps sorted and who you've had the time to work on and then the second one it will come like whenever they're napping at lunch try for one nap a day and see if mm. you get napping at the same time but if you can't it's, it's not going to harm them you yeah. know you might just take a bit longer for sleep to come together yeah 
but by the time they're now you know, they'll get to the point where they're then sleeping and then you're going to have to wake them up in the morning and be like come on yeah it's time to go to so college true. so it goes so fast it does and I think it's so it's so true when you're you know you're saying your littlest one didn't sleep until fit didn't sleep through the night until 15 months I actually think that's probably quite common and there's this there's this desire and rush to get babies to sleep through the night because and I completely understand why because if parents aren't sleeping it is a form of torture in some parts of the world like it has detrimental impact on it really does you know so much of our mental health and therefore then physical health but I completely understand why there's a rush to do it but not but but I suppose 15 months in the grand scheme of things is actually quite a short period of time. It's just sometimes when it's so difficult, those hard moments can feel so long. And I think that's why there's such a rush perhaps to just get it fixed in inverted commas and have them sleep through the night. Exactly. And when you're in it, you feel like it's never ending. You're like walking through treacle because you're just so tired that you just want a solution. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, I would have loved a sleep consultant back in the day but we couldn't afford it I wasn't working and I think now lots of parents are going back to work early so they want to you know they're saying I can't I can't keep getting up two three times a night Mm -hmm. because I need to work the next day but actually so many cultures do and they still work and so many cultures co-sleep and there's so much out there you know of course do it safely follow lullaby trust but um, when I was doing my training, we were told we couldn't work with families who were co-sleeping because of mm. our insurance and stuff, which is, it was right. in a New Zealand company. So I think that was kind of their thing. But because I did it with Theo, I had, I was kind of like, well, surely if cultures do it, we can do it safely. As long as we are promoting safe sleep and making sure we get a picture of their sleep space to cover our own backs as practitioners and make sure it's all safe then why can't we work with a family that wants to do that? Why can't we work with a family that wants a Montessori floor bed? Why can't we work with a family that, you know, all the whole family want to share a room? I don't see the issue in it when we can we can slightly work on other things. Mm. So, yeah, when you're in the kind of depths of sleep depression, you just want a quick solution. I will tell you now, there is no quick solution. You know, sometimes we change one thing. We might change naps around and a parent go, wow, that's all I had to do. Or we put a baby in their own room when it's safe to do. And they're like, oh, they're now not being disturbed most of the time 90 percent of the time you have to have patience you know you've got to give it a good month to see some change and be consistent and that takes a long time and it's hard when you're so tired you just want a quick fix but I'm sorry there is not really a quick fix mm. yeah that was going to be my next question what is sorry. your go-to fitness <laughs> quick fix um and before we move on um you mentioned that Florence has autism and I know that you you do sleep support specifically also for autistic and ADHD children. Would you just mind touching on that briefly? Yeah, so because we were very lucky with Florence's sleep, she slept really well, but a lot of children with autism um, don't produce as much melatonin, which is a sleep hormone, as a neurotypical child. So their sleep issues, as, as well as sensory, physical, emotional kind of stuff, can get to the point where they're not going to bed until like 10, 11 o'clock at night. They're then waking up really early and parents are relying a lot on melatonin, which is you can get in kind of um, tablet form. Great, but not always the answer. So for me, it was really important to kind of expand my repertoire um, and support families that maybe didn't think there was any sleep support out there. And going, I've done a lot of courses 
recently on autism ADHD cerebral palsy down syndrome um to kind of understand Florence a bit more and there's so many parents out there who didn't even realize that sleep support was a thing because we are so focused on babies sleeping because we kind of get pregnant we have a baby and suddenly we don't sleep but imagine you know having a child who's seven eight and hasn't slept for years and hasn't gone to bed before 11 o'clock at night for years and then waking up at five you know they're exhausted at school their behavior is bad so a lot of children then who um I said not a lot but some children who have autism are also diagnosed diagnosed with ADHD because they're so tired their cortisol levels are so raised so their behavior becomes an issue but a lot of it a lot of it's down to tiredness so actually take that tiredness out the behavior comes right back down to a normal age appropriate level so I think I found that fascinating which is why I've kind of gone into that side of things now as well as babies yeah I mean that is amazing and and uh gosh you're doing such wonderful stuff for so many people across literally <laughs> the spectrum so so um thank you and I will link to obviously all of your bits um in the show notes now the crux of this episode nailing naps Olivia mm-hmm. go how do we nail them you just uh, just do it yeah <laughs> So why don't we start with some, I guess, some basics. Would you recommend a nap time routine in a similar way to bedtime? And why, why do we need a routine for babies in general? Um, so I think kind of here we're talking about like the wind down period. So the bit before they go for a sleep. Um, it's the calming time. It's the time where they, it's cues. So we go upstairs, we close the curtains, you maybe put on a little bit of music or some like white noise quietly. And it's just all cues that your little one's going to be like, oh, okay, this is time to sleep. And it becomes familiar. It becomes welcoming to them. It becomes calming that even if you're a bit like, oh, are they going to nap? You can, you've got to start kind of faking it to make it co-regulate with them. Do all the things that calm you down as well. Um, and obviously the time before naps is going to be a really quick five, 10 minutes, whereas the time before bed is probably going to be 20 minutes, 25 minutes, half an hour, depending if you have bath that night or if you've done a massage. But a pre-sleep routine is just, it's a really easy way of creating a calm environment. So why wouldn't you do it? You know, instead of going up and going, right, bedtime, turn the lights on, shove your sleeping bag on, put you in the cot. These kids are going to be like, what are you doing to me? Like, I just don't feel calm. Go up choose a book, have a little bottle, turn the lights down. It's nicer for all of us. We don't like, kind of go to bed and just jump in and go, right, done, sleep. You know, we have our routine. So I think giving kids a routine is, is something that is free. It's easy. And it takes five, 10 minutes out of your day. So it, it's an, I, th- I feel it personally, it's an important role to have. And working with the family this week, there wasn't really much of a routine, pre-sleep routine in there. And we did it last night and the baby went to sleep so much calmer, so much quicker. And we changed two things. We turned the light down. We added some music before bed while reading a story, a little bit of a bottle, turned it all off, turned some white noise off. And compared to the night before where he took an hour to go to sleep, last night he took 20 minutes. So changing a few things really does help. Amazing. Yeah. And I think I love the way that you said co-regulating. I've not heard that before. I love that. Have you because, not? No, because I actually think it's it's quite important for me to also do when I'm trying to put pee either to sleep or to nap, because I, I think he knows when I'm in a rush, like if I've got mm-hmm. dinner plans and I'm like, okay, feed and go to bed and let's go, 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 go. He's like, absolutely yep. and having none of it. So <laughs> I sort yeah. of need to be in that mindset that like, this is going to take as long as it takes and 
it's going to be nice and calm and we're going to do this together and then hopefully he'll just he just sort of goes to sleep quicker and, and then I can dash out but I like that co-regulating yeah and it's really hard to do sometimes with the parents because we are in a rush the whole time and I think if we I always say to parents fake it to make it you know even if you're feeling nervous put a smile on breathe before you go in the room and just pretend it's all fun because if honestly babies pick up on it so easily yeah and what I like what I have a question about the cues because I completely understand that you know baby will pick up on the cues and sort of understand that it's time to wind down I find that Phoenix has different cues with different people so the way that I put him down for a nap is very different to how my husband will put him down for a nap which is very different to how my sister does when she babysits and also my mother-in-law so even though they're not the same cues I suppose is it possible to have different cues with different people so long as those cues with those different people are repeated and in, in a if you, if you get what I mean yeah absolutely and I think it, you know when your mother-in-law and your sister uh, come and look after Phoenix they probably have your schedule you know kind of and they're following it a lot more they're obviously they're also one step removed so actually they've taken out that they're probably a lot calmer because they've got a schedule they just got to follow it um so they're co-regulating in a slightly different way that he he feels calmer because actually it's fun. You know, someone's here, it's a bit different. I know them, I'm secure with them. Um, and it's good for them to have different cues of different people because then it gives them so many different opportunities to be able to fall asleep that when it, you know, maybe one day when you're both out and there's no one and you have to get a babysitter in, they're used to different people coming in that then they're like, oh, okay, well, this person's doing it slightly differently, but lots of people do it differently. And I'm comfortable and safe in my sleep space. So his sleep space probably doesn't change much. And he's got this, his sleeping bag and you probably put, I don't know if you use what ain't noise anymore or, you know, all those little cues, you've got the same things and he's in his, his safe space. So yeah, I think the more you other people can do it and not leave it to one person, the better. Yeah, that is true. And it's also, it's good for him, but it's also really good for me so that it's just not the same. Cause I know a lot of mums that are sort of tied to either them putting baby down because he won't go down they won't go down with somebody else and I can imagine that's that can be really difficult especially when naps are still three or four or five five a day or something you know so um so let me ask some of the questions that the, the community have asked are around how babies can either sleep in a cot from moving from sort of newborn sleep, which is, you know, very much, you know, on the body contact naps, et cetera, transitioning from the contact nap to the cot, because as you say, sometimes if you have other children at home, you can't, you can't possibly, you can't maybe contact nap for every single nap and you need, or or sometimes you do have other children at home and you just need your own space. How can you, how do you recommend parents get their babies to nap in the cot? And is it a timing issue and babies will kind of do it when they're ready? And if it's if that is the case and that babies are taking a little bit too long, what are some of the things that parents might be able to experiment with in order to get babies to sleep in the cot? So firstly, I don't think any baby hates a cot. I think it's their sleep association is somewhere else. So their sleep association, sleep association is on you. Why do they want to be somewhere else? You know, we have to make that place familiar. Um, so they don't know what kind of hate is at that point. So they're not, it's just finding the kind of safe, secure place. So I would firstly um, choose one nap a day. So just start with one, start simple. Um, 
maybe you know choose the morning one it's usually the quickest and it's they're kind of still tired from the night before so choose it um hold it and actually while we talk about this there's some interesting research which i'll link to this because it's interesting it came out yesterday and it's um it's basically a different way of getting a newborn or that kind of within that fourth trimester a baby to sleep um and it's talking about when they're crying pick them up walk around and you've got to walk around for about five minutes then you're going to sit down for between like five and eight minutes while they're kind of pretty much drowsy if not asleep before placing them down and the scientific research behind it showed that they're um they did an ecg on these children it was run by a mum of four um and it just showed their heart levels were you know kind of really calm um they slept better and when you had walked around to calm them down because you're using that motion then you sit down to have that contact and then you go to line them down they didn't wake up as much as a baby that maybe just had a quick rock and then into bed and you're going quick rock bed quick rock bed because they're just not going to sleep so i'll send you the research and you can maybe link it to for the other parents it was just a really interesting read and it's a really simple way of getting a baby to sleep obviously there's association in that first bit it's still going to be you because you're holding them and they're falling asleep but they're going to wake up in their cot so they're going to get used to being in there more and more as the weeks go on it probably won't work as much with a 11 12 month old but it would definitely work in that fourth trimester so one nap a day lots of motion um and then i think i've lost my train of thought now <laughs> just no, that's, about research. No, 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 that's that's good and yes please do send me that and i'll and i'll link to it i think i think some of the challenge that I, I'm going to slightly play devil's advocate here. Some One of the challenges I think, particularly of ba- getting baby to sleep in the cot in, that, in, the, in the first three months of life is that, yes, they're not familiar with it because obviously they have been in the womb and then we do they, they're, they're on us, but isn't on us where they're supposed, supposed to be in inverted commas, you know, we're, we're, marsupials were supposed to be carried <laughs> yep. at the front you know so actually I mean I, I don't suppose there's harm in putting them in the cot but is that why there's there's that challenge there as well yeah I think we're ready for that kind of fight or flight you know response we are you know back in the day um we the, everybody you know didn't sleep as deeply because you're ready in case a wolf came in your cave just to run away and protect your baby um whereas now I think a lot of the time as parents we can't we're in a world where there's so much information that one person saying contact net the whole time and one person saying put them down I feel like it's some, somehow it's got to give and we've got to do what's right for us and so if you want to have your baby on your chest for three months absolutely do it if you're enjoying it and you're happy doing that great if you want the space then put them down I know from the beginning that Florence we brought her home and we put her down in her most basket and she was always happy she slept there every single night and actually to be honest Rory was the same too Theo wasn't so a lot of it's temperament you know when they're first born it's 50% nurture and 50% nature so we've got to do what's right for us and and take away social media and what you know in the first three months where we're so vulnerable we've just had a baby you know your mum might come along or your granny and say well that wasn't like what it was like in my day but back in when my mum had me we were placed on our fronts and the SIDS rate was skyrocket so do you know what I will listen to you but I'm not going to take in you know everything you're saying I'm going to ask you a million questions which will tell me that you don't remember a thing and I'll probably do the same to Florence but if you want to have them on your chest and that's where you feel safest and your anxiety is lowered by having them with you great if your anxiety is sky high because you're a very 
kind of organized house proud person and you know you've got people coming around and you want to make it clean if that's what makes you happy then put them down keep an eye on them and then go and do your thing so I just think absolutely agree with you that we should definitely have them close by but it's got to be on a um, family you know one-on-one whatever your kind of parenting style is basis yeah I actually completely agree with that as well and I think you're so right in saying that there's so much knowledge out there and we can absorb so much of it I know I've I've been a victim of it I've I've have I have especially through the lens of Pasha Mama so much knowledge from different practitioners but actually then in turn gave me very little wisdom because I I almost had too much information I couldn't work out what was right for me or for Phoenix or for our family it took a while for me to to figure that out so um and you're yeah. panicking then whether you're doing it right or wrong and obviously you don't ever want to be wrong and I think I was lucky when I had Florence I was 26 and so I, none of my other friends had babies and so I was doing it my way you know I didn't have anyone else to look at I didn't think oh well they're doing it that way and you know I think what we spoke about baby groups was mostly poo and sleep you know that was kind of what you do but I didn't have any kind of like and we were living in Plymouth and my family at Essex so I didn't have any close friends that had children that I felt a kind of competition not the right word but I felt you know I had to be like them or their baby sleeping better um I think I was quite lucky in that respect whereas now if I'd had a baby now I think I'd be I'd be confused and I think in the sleep world it's not regulated we're not Mm. regulated as sleep practitioners so you can go and do a three-day course and then go and be a sleep practitioner what do you learn in three days and Everyone who knows me knows I love a course and my husband it drives him bonkers and I do course after course after course and I read so much research, but you have to because you're looking after somebody else's child. So why wouldn't you want to do the best? Um, so yeah, I would just say, you know, if if you're looking for support, look, you know, do your research because we're not regulated. People are trying to get to that point but ask the questions because you've got to find someone who works for you and is right for you. Yeah, I completely agree. And I, and I think it's interesting what you said about, we want to, you know, we might be feeling like we're doing it wrong. And I, I don't know if I've felt that I've ever done it wrong, but I've certainly felt that this could be done better, in a, you know, it better for him, better for my son's development, better for things like that. But not comparing is also is also incredibly difficult in today's social media reaked world but trusting that what works for us works for us so you know so many of my girlfriends and antenatal group are you know saying let's meet after the lunchtime nap now phoenix doesn't have a lunchtime nap he has one in the mid-morning and then he'll have a really short one in the mid-afternoon and that works, it works for him, him and that works for yeah. us it means that we miss out on a lot of afternoon activities but that's just how it rolls. So it won't last forever. It won't last forever. Exactly. And I think it's taken me a while to get to the point of actually, I feel quite comfortable in this is our jam and he's happy that I think that's the main thing is that yeah. he's, I feel like he's getting enough sleep. You know what I mean? I think it with the beginning with the naps in particular, I was worried that he wasn't getting enough. He'd wake up after 20 minutes and be screaming his head off. And I just thought, gosh, this isn't good. So with that, I think the next question is going to be around how can we as parents lengthen our baby's naps or encourage our baby to take longer naps? Because I feel like this 26 or 36 
minute nap was just literally it was like it was like clockwork right at the beginning and there were a few things that you told me to do that helped elongate it, it wasn't everything didn't work every single time but it definitely did help when I felt it, it was necessary for him to get longer sleep so how do what are some of the things you would recommend that we can do to help our babies take longer naps okay so look at the sleep environment number one kind of um piece of advice so black it out as darker darker the better um but it's not going to get completely dark that's fine and um, if it's not completely dark try not to put your baby straight under the window because obviously it's a bit of light coming in try and put me on the side of the room if possible um, you want a sleeping bag or a swaddle if they're tiny and white noise can really help block out those middle of the day noises. So especially if you're in a city, there are postmen, there's people shouting, there's motorbikes, there's, you know, rubbish lorries. And if so, if you can have that white noise blocking out the sound, go for it. Um, and if you want to elongate them, so they're only having 30 minute naps, but you want to start looking at that longer lunchtime nap if that's what you want to do you've got to work on a resetter so we've got a, we've all got something called a circadian rhythm in us which is our body clock and if we want to work on teaching our circadian rhythm when's the right time of day to nap for our little one you have to support them in going back to sleep so link those sleep cycles and your, your sleep environment should help it but if you want to go back in and rock them back to sleep, you want to um, hold them to sleep or you want to do a bit more outroom stuff, it's completely up to you. But most of the time, once a baby's had a 45 minute nap, they're up, they're awake, they're like, I'm good to go. It's going to take a few weeks to get that nap longer. So link those sleep cycles, do contact naps. They seem to be the kind of easiest, best way. But also don't stress about it. There's no science behind anything in naps that says a nap should be a certain length. Um, I think for me, especially having worked with hundreds of families, you can definitely get longer naps, but if it's stressing you out, it's not worth it for you. You know, go for four naps a day rather than three or do one out and about in the buggy. If the motion nap works fine, get your steps in. It's not going to work forever. And then when you're ready to work on it, come back and work on it. But if you're not ready to work on it now, just go with the flow. Yeah, I think that's really important as well. You've got to sort of have the mindset of, okay, I'm ready to sort of change this. Or um, what worked for us, which actually was really helpful for Phoenix, particularly in those first, um, oh God, I don't know if it was weeks or months. It's sort of such a blur when, it, when he was so young, um, especially when we were trying to put him in his cot, was actually putting him on his side, putting him down on his side and then reset. And then once he fell asleep, Rolling. moving him onto his back. And then trying to kind of get into the room just before he woke or just as we're like, as he's approaching that, that moment of recess or putting him back on the side and then patting him. And sometimes that worked for us and sometimes that didn't. But I remember the first time he gave me that advice, he slept for 45 minutes and I was literally like, this is the best. <laughs> it's so funny how an extra 15 minutes can just make you feel oh, like a completely yeah. different person. Exactly. And I, I think lots of children that end up like being settled on their side and like end up being tummy sleepers anyway you know, you know yeah. I don't want to be on my back all night long but I'm a back sleeper and my husband's a front sleeper so it'd be interesting to know kind of what he was like as a baby what his temperament was mm. and yeah until they can roll obviously the safest place to put them is their back and I, you wouldn't tell anyone else to do it and like you say if, if you can settle on their side which we definitely do as babies with that shush pat you hold them on their side and you pat their bottom and then you slowly roll them why wouldn't you do that you know mm. it's easy yeah. it's yeah um another sort of 
troubleshooting question around naps is around uh, moving away from feeding to sleep. So, you know, like I said, different people in um, my family and household have different ways of putting Phoenix down. I'm the only person that needs to feed him to sleep because for whatever reason, Rod made for my own back, he just will not go down with me any other way. My husband has his own way. My sister chants to him. She's a yoga instructor. She chants yeah. and he says she goes into some sort of stupor and then falls asleep. I think we all would. Yeah. yeah. My <laughs> mother-in-law sings to him. My husband rocks and I have to feed. I've tried so many times to, I've done all of them in one sitting as well, to, to rock, to sing, to chant. <laughs> it doesn't work. And it's just, and it's just so easy for me to just pop him on my boob. Two minutes done. He's out. He goes down into the cot. However, you know, now he's only on two naps a day. My husband takes one nap. I take the other. So I'm only really doing that if I have to once a day or we, we're out and stuff. So it's, 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 it's manageable now, but I know a lot of women aren't in this position with partners at home or family nearby to help out. And they feel tied to being the only person that can put their baby to sleep if they're feeding to sleep. And I know there's nothing wrong with feeding to sleep. I do it myself. However, again, if it gets to the point where mum needs a break and needs somebody else to come in and help put the baby down so that she can have a moment to herself or a night off or whatever it is, how, what is a, what are some of the ways that you've seen that might, that have worked or suggestions you might make to help move away from feeding to sleep as and when the mother needs? So I guess as a one-off, it's quite hard. Like, I don't know if it would work just to say I need one night off because if that's how, you know, unless your husband, your mom or your sister then can do it. If it's just you and you get a babysitter and that's not really known or someone that doesn't do it very regularly, I think the baby's going to freak out. I think they're just going to be like, I I, this is not how I go to sleep, so I can't do it. So a one-off, I wouldn't say it was possible you know people maybe say it is and have got different ideas but I haven't seen it as a one-off if you want to do it long term and you just want to feed in the day but you don't feed to sleep then do it gradually you know kind of cut it feed for a bit take them off maybe try a bottle you know, to, to top them up and then you just kind of have to swap it around so a bit of breastfeeding a bit of bottle you know and then a bit, a bit less breastfeeding a bit more bottle kind of thing so you're still giving them the milk they need, but anyone can do it. It's for me, it's a gradual thing because we're changing quite a big association. You know, that is their their comfort. And it's interesting you've actually said this question because the family we're working with this week, that's what mom, that's what mom's doing. We're, we're getting away from the feeding before bedtime. And actually, I think mum, mum needs it. She's going back to work. You know, she she said she can't do this the whole time. She works long hours. Um but it's a lot harder on her than I think she thought it would be. So a lot of it's managing parents' expectations. Babies are a lot more resilient than we give them credit for. Give them, if you want to go cold turkey, absolutely you can. You might just have two or three nights of not great settling or sleep, but actually babies forget quickly. We, on the other hand, take it to heart that we are taking something away from them we're not doing our you know the best parenting that day we feel guilty and the guilt stays with us a lot longer than it does with babies um so I guess my if you want to move away from feeding to sleep if you want to do it completely start in the day swap the feeds with the bottle 
if you just want to do it before bed, do it gradually. Put the baby on, time it. Say they do a 10 minute feed and then go to sleep, then do a 10 minute one the first day and then nothing. Next day, eight minutes, take them off, add a bottle, six minutes, four minutes, and just do it gradually. And especially if you know you've got a night coming up or you've got a holiday, you've got time to do it before you go. But for babies to change such a big association, you're going to have to take a bit of time, I think. Yeah, I think that's so important. I think that's such a valid point you make about the impact it has when we try to make changes on us as the parent versus mm-hmm. the child um, and how those feelings and the, that kind of memory of what the baby's going through will stay with us. And as you say, the baby probably isn't going to remember you know, how long would you say things take to change? I heard that somebody told me the other day, it takes anything that happens like three days in a row or something becomes a habit. (laughs) I don't know if that's true. Three days feels quite short, but let's say, you know, we're dealing with how, how, and again, it's going to be difficult for you to answer because every baby is unique, but let's say we're trying to change this with a, with a three month old versus a six month old versus a nine month old. How, how, how easy or quick can these babies adapt roughly? So I think up to about 10, 11 months, it's a lot quicker. I think, so if I go into a house for nap support, which I do quite a bit and I'll go in the day and we'll have six hours doing two naps, you know, in the day, three four days in we've changed everything completely we, we you know we might not be at the exact point we want to be but we are at a nap schedule we're resettling easier the setting techniques kind of started to work and so three four days you can definitely you hit that nine ten eleven twelve month mark the separation anxiety is there they know a lot more working with an 11 and 12 month old baby I know it's going to take a couple of weeks. There is no easy fix. They're just more, they're more aware. They're more, um, they can, what's the word? They can fight things for longer. You know, they they can cry louder. They know what they want and we can't reason with them. So at that stage, and we're changing it. You know, we can't have a conversation with them like you can a two and a half, three-year-old when you're changing the sleep association. You can't be like, right, from this weekend, we're going to do this. And this is going to be your sticker chart. And blah, blah. We're just, go- you know, they just, one night they're going to sleep in the way they know. And the next night it's like, bang, oh, what is happening? So yeah, if you give me a six, seven, eight-month-old, three, four days. If you give me an 11, 12-month-old, this is me personally, in my experience, it's um, a little bit longer. Okay, that's good to know. Might have to wait to try and change Phoenix so till I can reason with him when he's about two or three and offer him some <laughs> stickers and some chocolates. <laughs> Sammy, chocolate, jelly babies, works yeah. treat. A friend of mine said the other day, she told her her, her daughter who's two, um, if you sleep if you if you sleep through the night tonight, don't wake me up, I'll give you cake for breakfast. And she slept through the night, just like that. <laughs> Whatever it I takes. I mean, they know. Whatever it takes. <laughs> Oh, I'm like all for the bribery. It sounds awful, but you know, <laughs> if if your child if your child does what you want, they can have jelly babies. Like today, the kids went to school and two of them were crying because I've been working nights. And I was like, "What do you want? Do you want a Kinder egg? Should I get you a cake?" <laughs> and they stop crying and then they go. I'm like, "That'll do." There we go. <laughs> um, Olivia, I wanted to. I've got a couple, just a couple more questions to ask. Um, one of which is around, you know, I know you have your own experience of this, but this is something that keeps coming up as well as a, as a sort of troubleshooting with naps at home is how to manage naps with your newborn when you have toddler at home. 
because obviously the toddler needs a lot more attention, but sometimes you can't give it because you're trying to settle or resettle baby or the baby needs to sleep on you. And it, you know, how can parents navigate that challenge? So ideally, if your toddler's in a really good nap schedule, and obviously at that point, they're on one nap a day, they're on a lunch nap. Um, one, I would try putting the baby down first, you know, give the toddler some special time. But while you're giving, while you're putting the, the newborn down, give the toddler a job, you know, get them to hold the baby monitor, get them to make sure that, you know, they're going to sleep fine. And then I always say to parents, get a basket of toys um, with the iPad or some stuff that doesn't come out in the day so that they can have you know and put it outside the door where the baby's sleeping so they can have their own exciting box of stuff to do they don't feel like they're left out they've got their new box and you can switch it up every couple of days they've got the baby monitors they're in charge and obviously the first couple of days they'll probably click the button that you can they can talk to you or they'll come in but they'll see that this is their job you know this is it's an important big kid job um and i guess mostly with toddlers, it's just one nap a day so if it goes wrong put the baby in the sling you know read stories with the toddler in bed settle the toddler and then just say you know baby's going to go to bed in a minute as well but you know mommy wanted to put you first because you're the big boy you know little big girl whatever it is and just pick them up you know they've got this new sibling in the house they're going to fight things keep it as consistent as possible but give them something to do. give them a special box give them a, a special job um and if the day goes wrong and the toddler doesn't sleep and the baby doesn't sleep then get out just go out do something different, change up and just do an early bedtime. But it's hard. It's not easy. And then you might just find actually when the toddlers had three, four days a week, two weeks of you, you being consistent and pushing them down, they're not going to fight it anymore. They're going to be tired. They'll be bored of the baby by that point. You know, <laughs> they'd rather have a break and a little sleep. Yeah. Okay. That is really, really sound advice. I like the idea of giving, giving the older child a sort of task or responsibility in that because uh yeah that's that's a really nice way to to look at it and as you say if it all goes tits up just get out of the house and it doesn't matter exactly. you can start again tomorrow that's what I've basically exactly. one day. in motherhood is that yep. when things go to shit which they often do particularly in those <laughs> first few months um yep. which is crazy that I say that because I still feel like 10 months Phoenix is 10 months is still still the first few months um <laughs> every day is a new day so it can you know everything changes that's the only con that's the only constant in motherhood is that nothing is constant and the sleep is not linear oh, oh god the sleep, the sleep is not linear at all it's a massive squiggle as is with most oh. things i think but yeah i think that's also just a really important and and yeah important point to sort of as we're heading to the end of this conversation i think that's a really really um valid thing to say what I wanted to ask you is like my final question, which you did touch on um, at the beginning of the podcast was, you know, as you say, this isn't a regulated industry, which I think is absolutely bonkers. But if parents are looking for help or support when it comes to their children, what are some of the things that they need to be looking out for to ensure that that, the, that, that practitioner that they choose from or or that they, they, that they choose to help them or the person that they're following on in, in Instagram is giving them the, the, the sort of right advice? So I think, we're, especially for me, my DMs are always open. So if you don't agree with something, message me, ask me why I think it, and I will absolutely reply to you without any kind of negativity. You know, we don't have to think the same, we don't have to parent the same, but I think when you're looking for somebody, question them, uh, you know, 
ask them what uh, what um courses they've done ask them you know how many people they've worked with and if if someone's going to shut down on you and not tell you anything and be like no i've worked with hundreds of families and it's been fine i've done this i just feel like it's maybe a bit of a red flag you know ask them why they suggest that nap routine ask them why they suggest this time of bed and a good sleep practitioner will be able to tell you the science behind it you know they've not just they've read a parenting book and that's they've passed this course after three days because i'm not going to name the course of course but the one that is three days one is four and a half thousand pounds to do as a sleep practitioner and i think the lady who does it just gives you all the information and she knows and it says off you go but the nap timings are really off compared to the up and down of hormones so one you need to have someone that you could gel with absolutely two question them three a lot at the moment um i've just done a course and it's it's called level six ocn courses the open college network it's not um regulated but it is accredited so the course is accredited it doesn't make us as practitioners accredited but it's a, an accredited course that we have to do um essays on and, and research and all this kind of stuff so i just beg people to do you know thing and and I think the email that I sent out of the week, which was all about what does holistic mean to you, is if someone has got holistic in their profile, great. They've done a holistic course, but surely we're all holistic. We all, a good sleep practitioner looks at the holistic picture, the whole picture. So I could put holistic on mine. I've done Lindsay Hookway's holistic course, but I don't think I need to sell myself that way. I think, I think I've done... I don't know how even to phrase it. I've done mainstream courses. I've done holistic courses. Uh, I'm doing a maternity course at the moment. I'm Montessori nursery teacher by trade. So I've done all the child development stuff. I did that for 10 years. Um, so yeah, just question people. Ask them all the questions. And I think if they don't want to answer the questions, then you need to look again. But if they're going to have the back and forth and you and teach, teach you, even without being paying them anything, you know, people will message me and say, because um, I do all my Monday free questions and say, um, oh my child's this age and they're doing this and like or try this and this because and they'll be like oh okay thanks and yeah you've got to know the science behind it sorry I'm waffling now no no I love it I was going to say I think that's really really important god I didn't know you were a Montessori teacher before you Mm. must have so much brilliant knowledge of that head of yours Olivia and that's why I'm really glad that you said the questions because that was I was going to say you know you are on Instagram I'm going to um the dream house uh, you do this brilliant q a every monday you're so so good at it you put every up that monday. box i had so many questions that i i pummeled you <laughs> with and it's not even just you answering the question that i asked it was actually really really interesting and also reassuring and insightful to see what other people were asking yeah and hearing your responses to that um you also do sleep guides which you have really really kindly set up a code for the first 10 people to use to get uh, a discount off your sleep guides and you have to sleep guides from sort of three to four months and then four to twelve months 12 to 24 and then two to five years so oh, what an ariana Done I research. Uh, of course i have <laughs> um so i will also be putting that code oh, and newborn and newborn actually, but actually that's sorry no i have got a newborn but there's no code for it because i'm different platform different platforms fine Mine well i will put all of the details um in the show notes and hopefully the first 10 lucky listeners who are looking for some support will be able to get those from you because I, you I, you know i've used them um and i i think they're brilliant and i think you're Thank brilliant you. and i just think you know the way that you are approaching sleep and supporting parents is just 
wonderful so thank, thank you. you so much for this conversation I really no, thank you I loved it thank you so much again you're very welcome